Amen. Is God good this morning? <laughs> Amen. I love that song because, uh, you know, it has that little O in there. It's a little, it's a, a little unsettling. God's good. God, you're good. You're good. Oh. It's like there's just not a word, God. You're so good, I don't even have a word to say. You are good. Oh. I love it. I love it. Hey, I want you to do something real quick. Put your hand on your chest. Do you feel your heart beating? You feel the breath in your lungs? Listen, there's a purpose for you to be here this morning. God has a purpose for your life. If there's a heartbeat in your chest and a breath in your lungs, there's a purpose for your life. And I believe with all of my heart, you're here this morning to hear the word of God. That's the most important thing that we could do today is hear from him. I got nothing to offer you apart from that. <laughs> and that's all we need. Amen? Listen, uh, we've been in this series called Acts, the story of the church. And last week we were talking about Peter's beach vacation. It really wasn't a beach vacation, but... He went to this beautiful place in these little towns of Lydda and Joppa. We know Joppa is kind of the port city of a larger town called Tel Aviv. You may have heard of Tel Aviv. And um, we see that God is using him tremendously for his glory. He's healed a crippled man. He's um, given life back to a dead woman. And through these miracles, God is using the power of these miracles to tell the story of a greater power. And that power is Jesus' death for unworthy people, us. And when they see the miracle of uh, him raising this, this man from this bed and, and giving life back to this dead woman, they see the power that is Jesus Christ. And they come to know him. It says these towns come to Jesus. It's just this beautiful, beautiful situation, beautiful opportunity. Um, you know, the, the Christian church... Uh, been going for a couple of thousand years. The first 100 years or so was primarily made up of Jewish believers. You know what I mean? They're people who, who had a Jewish descent and then, you know, they came to Christ. And so they still kind of wrestled with some Jewish issues and Jewish regulations. And then they came to Christ. Well, listen, the last 1900 years, the church has been primarily Gentile. I mean, the first several years and maybe a hundred Jewish in descent mainly, but the last 1900 were Gentile. I want you to know that what we're going to study today is the crux. It is the, uh, the linchpin for why that is the case. Uh, Paul, well, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but Paul said in Romans that salvation comes to the Jew first, which it did, and then to the Gentile. So I'm excited this morning to kind of get back into our story a little bit and talk about all that God wants us to see. Uh, you know, Peter... We said last week he goes and he stays with a tanner. And a tanner is somebody who, who he tans hides. He deals with dead animals. And in the Jewish law, this would have been very forbidden to be around. The Jewish law would have said, no, for a devout Jew, you, you can't be around this. Well, for whatever reason, Peter is okay to stay there. And it, that's all Luke tells us at the end of that chapter 9 is that he's going to stay there in this place for a few days. And I love it because it kind of gives us a hint that Peter's starting to let go of some of his Jewish regulations. He's focusing on a higher law, not necessarily the Levitical law. He's focusing on a higher law, which is the law of love. And that's the thing we need to focus on as well this morning. But uh, we're going to get into this text in Acts 10. If you have your Bibles, take them out and look at them. If you don't, look on the screen with us. Then we're going to read from Acts 10. We're going to do this whole chapter today. And uh, so we're going to just kind of take it in bite-sized portions, all right? 
Acts 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? Then he said to him, your prayers and your alms have been ascended Uh, have ascended as a memorial offering before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. I want to stop right there for a second. Now Caesarea is a pretty important town. It's uh, right there on the Mediterranean coast just about a little over 30 miles north from Joppa. So it's going to be a pretty good hike, a couple of days to get there. Um, It's also the Roman capital of Judea. So if that gives you some sense of the importance of Cornelius. Cornelius is is a a professional soldier. He's a Roman soldier. And he is in charge of a hundred men. That's why he's called a centurion. So he's he's important. Later in the text, we know that that he's uh, well known by the city. I mean, this is an important guy, but, but God is doing something in Cornelius' life. It's not just about his uh, uh, position as a soldier. It's also about what he's doing. He's seeking the Lord. It says that he's a devout man, which means he's not Jewish. He is 100% Gentile, which means not Jewish, uh, anything other than Jewish, right? He is not Jewish, but he is, he's been around Jews a little bit, and he's trying, kind of trying on some of the things he sees. He's praying He's seeking God. He's giving money to those who have need. He's even teaching his family to fear God. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. But I want us to see, it's so important that we see this this morning. Here, Cornelius is a good man. He's done good things. He gives money. He prays. But I want you to know what he is not. He is not a believer in Jesus. He does not know Christ. He fears God. He has some sense of a religious nature. He's doing some good things, but we're going to see this morning he does not know Jesus. And my point is this, for everyone in here, for any friends, for any family, you've heard this before, well, I'm a pretty good guy. I haven't done that much. Never killed anybody. That's always the thing we say, isn't it? I've never killed anybody. Like, that's the only bad thing we can do, right? It's not enough to be a good person. It's not enough to do good things. Good things won't get you to heaven. Only knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. And we're going to see that Cornelius, even though he was a good person, he did good things, it wasn't enough. We see that uh, he's done some interesting things, right? He's, he's doing these things, and it gets God's attention. You know, one of my favorite things is in the fall, you walk outside and you smell smoke. You know what I mean? Somebody's either burning leaves or they've, they're burning some wood in their fireplace. And I just love that smell, and I always kind of Oh, it gets my attention. I look around. Who's, who are the neighbors is burning something? You know, who's got the fire going in the fireplace? This is exactly what happened in heaven. God's attention has been stirred by the works, the things that, that Cornelius is doing. So he's looking. He sends an angel to Cornelius. Now listen, Cornelius is a bad dude. I'm saying he's, he's probably strong. He, he's like a green beret. He's like a seal. He, he's He's awesome. And yet it says when he sees this angel, he's what? Terrified. (laughs) So this bad man is now uh, terrified and shaking in his Roman boots, right? 
or sandals, I guess it would be. Um, so he's, he's an important guy, but he sees this angel, and this angel tells him, you've gotten God's attention. Your prayers and your alms have ascended before God as a memorial. And he tells him, he says, um, he makes this announcement for him to send some people to go get Peter in Joppa. Um, and this is so interesting to me. I thought about this. I thought, why didn't the angel just tell Peter about the gospel? You know, why didn't the angel just say, uh, uh, tell, uh, tell Cornelius, I'm sorry, why, just go tell Cornelius the whole story. Tell him about the gospel. Tell him about Jesus. Here's the deal. That's not the angel's job. The angels were created to serve. They're created to announce. Guess who's created to preach? You. That's your job. That's my job. It's not the angel's job. So the angel comes and makes an announcement. He serves. He tells, uh, he tells Cornelius to send for Peter. But now it's going to be Peter's job and Peter's mission to come and preach the gospel to Cornelius and to his family. Uh, some people think that Cornelius might have been saved. I mean, just, it just seems like he's just such a good man, he might have been saved. I want to show you that he's not. Here, really quickly, I want to prove this to you, okay? Number one, why would you send Peter to preach to him if he was already saved? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense for Peter to come and preach the gospel to Cornelius if he already knew the gospel, okay? Here's the second thing. If we look at the next chapter, Acts 11, verse 13 and 14 says this. This is Peter sharing with the Jerusalem uh, believers what has happened. And he, sp he tells the story in the vision of Cornelius. He says, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and said, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Cornelius was not saved until he received the message from Peter. He's a good man, but he didn't know Jesus. So the angel's given Cornelius some instruction. He, he says, send to get Peter. Now we know Cornelius is a pretty important guy, right? At least he's got two servants, right? He's got at least two servants and a Roman soldier to send to get Peter. That's someone of position. Let's continue to read in our text, verse 9. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became angry and he wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending. Bring, uh, uh, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Uh, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for, and what, what is the reason you're coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. I want to just catch you up here. So Peter's staying at this tanner's home. 
Probably shouldn't be if he's a devout Jew, but he is. He's letting go of some of those Jewish uh, regulatory sort of things. He gets hungry and decides he wants to take in the view. Now, I've been to Joppa and to Tel Aviv, and I've been right where this is taking place. And it is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. A beautiful beach, a beautiful area. Peter goes up on this roof, and he just wants to go up and pray and take in the view, and it's gorgeous. But he's hungry, and he falls into this trance. And God shows him in this trance something kind of strange, a sheet being let down. And in the sheet are all types of unclean animals from Jewish Levitical law and and, and reptiles and birds and all these different things. And a voice comes to Peter and says, rise, kill, and eat. And what does Peter tell the Lord? You know? He says, by no means. He says, no. Which is, by the way, not a good thing to tell the Lord, okay? Don't, I don't recommend saying no to God, but he does. He does. Uh, I heard uh, J.D. Greer this week. He was teaching on this, and I loved what he said. He said, this is the equivalent of God showing a, an old Baptist pastor in a vision, you know, a fifth of Jack Daniels and some cigarettes and saying, uh, rise, take drink, and smoke. You know, it's like, by no means, Lord. Are you crazy? When I, when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay, I get that. I can understand. The same sort of deal. Peter is wrecked. He does not understand. He, he is so confused. He's perplexed. He does not get what is going on. And one theologian I read this week said, you know, you can say no, and you can say Lord. But if he's really your Lord, you can't say no Lord. Because if, if he's your Lord, you'll always say yes Lord, right? Peter says, by no means Lord. But listen, Peter's thick-headed. Did you know that? like somebody else I know, me. He's thick-headed, he's stubborn, and he can't quite take all this in, he can't quite figure it out. And God in his grace, listen, God in his grace, three times he comes to Peter and says this. He just keeps showing up, showing him the vision, and speaking, rise, kill, and eat. Peter, I want you to get this, I know it's hard for you to understand, and naturally so. Listen, 1,400 years, of Jewish Levitical law is connected to this moment. Peter's thinking, wait, for 1,400 years this has been the law and all of a sudden now in this moment it's changing? And God's going, yeah, it's a big moment. And Peter can't quite wrap his brain around it. I want you to remember that because for the rest of the story, it's like Peter's in a daze. Have you ever felt that? You got some news and you're just kind of like, I don't remember if I ate lunch. You ever done that before? Well, this is kind of where Peter's at. He's so confused. He just, he doesn't understand. But I want you to see the warning here. Church, listen. Peter almost let his tradition get in the way of his obedience to God. You see that? Peter almost let his tradition get in the way of his obedience to God. Don't do that. Don't let what you're used to and the things that have always been just the way they've always been keep you from obeying God. And it almost happened to Peter. But it didn't. By God's grace and his obedience, he followed the Lord. You know, I, uh, I just kind of speak this out over us. We need to be careful. We need to be careful of our traditions and our cultures um, that they don't keep us from, from God's mission. Listen, I got to tell you this, and you know this, you've heard this before. The message of God, the gospel of Jesus is unchanging. It doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? 
It doesn't change. His message doesn't change. But how we speak that message has to change. The strategies we have to to compel people to hear the truth of who God is and the sacrifice that Jesus has been, we have to change that. We have to change how we speak it. Not the message, the method. Right? Not the message. The message will always stay the same. God's word is true. But we have to change our methods. But it's hard. Change is hard. Change is hard. Let me ask this question to you. What's more important to you? Your tradition or God's mission? Because we have to make a choice. Will we just kind of do what we've always done? Or we say, no, Lord, even though this is hard and confusing, I want to follow you. I want to obey you and be on mission, not be in my tradition. That's our prayer for South City. So this vision, it's, it's about food. It's about unclean food. Or no, it's, it's about people. It's, it's deeper than food, isn't it? It's about more than that. Peter's starting to kind of begin to understand this. This is, uh, you know, Jews have always considered Gentiles less than. They've always treated Gentiles uh, differently. In fact, there's a common phrase in Judaism, Gentile dogs. That's not very nice, is it? If you're a Gentile, you're a Gentile dog. It's not nice. In fact, it's honestly, simply racism. That's what we're looking at in this text. Racism, it's very clear. And God is saying, it's not okay. God is saying, don't call someone or something unclean when I've made it clean. Don't call it common when I've made it. And yet we've done it. We continue to do it. Our society does it. God forgive us. Why was this vision about food? It's interesting to me. This is, this is, this is what I think here. This vision is about these different foods, and I just was praying, asking the Lord. I just felt like he was saying to me, God sometimes speaks to us right where we are. That's how intimate he is. That's how loving and connected to us he is. Peter, the text tells us, for a reason, was what? He was hungry. Now, I know if you're angry and hungry, it's hangry. I'm not sure what it is if you're hungry and sleepy or I don't know. But anyway, he was hungry. We know that from the text. He goes to the roof hungry. And God speaks to him right where he is. Right in the middle of what his situation is. Speaks to him about food. Now we know it's more than food. Why is, why is food a big deal to Jews? Well, it is. It is. In fact, you know, it's, it's not good to be around a Jew. It's definitely not good to be in the home of a Jew, which Peter's been staying with this guy for several days, but it's really bad if you eat with a Jew. Look at what it says in Acts 11, 2 and 3, when Peter's explaining to uh, the, the Jewish believers in, in Jerusalem. He says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. He said, uh, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with him? Are you kidding me? It's a big deal. Food that was unclean was a big deal. It's not just about food, right? I, I, think about, I think about the Jim Crow era in our country, 50s and the 60s. I think about these disgusting signs that said, whites only. It breaks my heart. And it reminds me of what's going on here. This is about racism. This is about separatism. This is calling something unclean that is not. Look what Paul says 
in Romans 1.16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. He could have stopped right there. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone. He could have stopped right there, but he didn't. He says, to the Jew first, everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. He has to give a qualifier. He has to help people know, hey, no, it's okay, we're equal. God has salvation, and that salvation is for everyone. Here's the first thing I want you to see on your card this morning. I've given you a few write-in notes, so if you want to fill them in, you can. But I want us to remember three things today about this message and about chapter 10 of Acts. The first thing is this. God sends us. He invites us into the mission to where he's working, okay? God sends us. We talked about this last week. He's always at work. And where he's working, he wants us to be with him. He invites us into that work. He sends us. We see this with Cornelius, and we see it with Peter. Do you notice the thing that both Cornelius and Peter are doing when they both get the vision? What are they doing? They're praying. Both of them are praying. Cornelius is praying when he gets a vision. Peter is praying when he gets the vision. I said it last week. I'll say it again until we understand it and live for it. And that is, prayer is the prerequisite of the power of God. Church, we've got to be a praying people. We can't do the work of God on our own because it's God's work. We have to pray. We have to seek him. And it will only be in prayer that he shows us his, his heart, his mission for what it is we're to do. It's what we see from Cornelius and Peter both. God sends. Peter's sort of in a daze, all right? He comes down off the roof. He's in a daze. He's trying to make sense of what's unclean and what's clean. You've got to be kidding me. This, I can't believe that I just had this moment. And then God has to tell him, hey, okay, we're over the, the vision thing. Now there's some guys down at the door. Go downstairs. He's having to give him step-by-step instructions. There's guys down at the door. You need to go down there and go with them. I love how personal God is. I love how kind he is that he just speaks to us. Sometimes he just gives us baby step, baby step. That's what he's doing with Peter. And I promise you it's what he's done with me here. There's no question. Baby step, baby step. So Peter goes down to the door and uh, he says, all right, um, why are you here? By the way, when a Roman soldier is at your door and you're a persecuted Christian, it's not the best thing to see. It's not like a good Tuesday when you see, a, you know, the Roman soldier at your door. The Roman soldiers are the ones who crucified Jesus. And here the soldier is standing at, at Peter's door where he's staying. And Peter goes, um, and why are you here? <laughs> Can I help you? Selling something, you know? Peter's trying to figure this out. And they tell him the vision of Cornelius. And can you imagine Peter's head is about to explode? First of all, it's the unclean food. And then he says, no, wait a minute. You tell me God showed a Gentile a vision? Oh, my gosh. You've got to be kidding. You want me to come to the Gentile's home and stay with him? Well, I guess I'm already staying with the Gentile. Uh, Okay, he's just, so at this point, he just says, well, just come on in. Come on in. Let's continue to read verse 23. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. 
but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent me. He's, he's asking again, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner uh, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. <laughs> Let me break this. There's so much in this text, in this chapter, so much. Peter is here with his crew in Joppa. He's staying, now there's the Rome, there's got people laying out over the floor, right? They're just, they're hanging, getting ready to leave to go to Caesarea. A Roman soldier, two servants of Cornelius, Peter brings with him six of his own boys, right? There's 10 guys, now they're going to make the trek to Caesarea, and they leave. While they're on their way, Cornelius is gathering all of his family. He's gathering all of his friends. He's gathering his neighbors to hear whatever this message is from God. This was pretty convicting to me. Cornelius doesn't even know Jesus, and look at the work he's doing to get people to hear God's message. <laughs> Is that convicting? We just make it blasé. Oh, well, I'm going to church again. Hear the word. Cornelius didn't even know the Lord, and yet he's saying, you've got to come hear the message. And how much more do we who know him need to help people get to hear the message of Jesus? So Peter and his crew, they're going Cornelius is rounding up all his friends and family. And just, you're going to see in just a minute how instrumental Cornelius is to their salvation by doing so. He walks in, Peter walks in, Cornelius falls down, Peter brings him up. No, 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 I'm just a man, just like you. <laughs> and Peter still can't get, he's, again, he's just walking around in a daze. He can't get over this unclean, clean thing. And so you know how when people are just... They got something in their heart, and it just stays in them. Every time you get together, they talk about that one thing. You know what I'm talking about? That's Peter. Peter's like just walking around going, unclean. The guys are going, you good over there? Yeah, just trying, you know. And he walks in. He sees this huge crowd. And the first thing Peter says, I'm not supposed to be here. You know, this is not, this is not cool for me to be here with people from another nation. I, but then it's like he, he remembers, oh, but God has shown me. And now you see Peter understands it's not just about food. Peter says, he's shown me, God has shown me that people, it's about people. And Peter begins to get it. He begins to get it. This was so interesting to me. I want you to see, we all know Peter's job, right? We know what Peter does. He's not a fisherman anymore, right? He's a fisherman of men. He, he, he preaches. He, he takes the gospel of Jesus. He makes disciples in the Great Commission. That's his job. Why does it seem like Peter's forgotten his job? Peter forgot what he's supposed to do. It happens to the best of us. We get caught up in things that don't matter as much. It's what happened to Peter when he was back in Joppa and the, and the Roman soldier, and they're there, and he says, and why are you guys here? Peter, your job is to preach the gospel. If they'll sit there long enough, preach. Tell them, bring them in and teach them. He gets to Caesarea, to Cornelius' house, and he goes to Cornelius, this is a great group of people. Why am I here again? Isn't that interesting? Listen, sometimes the loss of our traditions 
can make us forget the gospel of Jesus. God forbid that when we lose a tradition, it's so important that we forget to see the need to preach the gospel. We forget to see the need that people need Jesus. No, it's all about what I want in my tradition and where I've been and where we've been and what we've understood. That's where Peter was. He couldn't even see a group of people and remember, I'm supposed to preach. I'm supposed to tell them about Jesus. Cornelius, why am I here? May it never be that our traditions or the loss of our traditions are, are so important to us that we forget the only thing that matters is Jesus. Peter gets the vision. He starts getting it. Okay, more than food, it's about people. Uh, he's getting this. He asks why. And then Peter comes to and he begins to. This is the Peter we, we saw back at Pentecost, right? Now we're getting to see this Peter filled with the Holy Spirit and he opens his mouth. Look with me at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth. <laughs> and he said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. I love that. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter was still saying these things. <laughs> He's still preaching. And the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. So much is here. So much is here. I want you to see the second point of our message this morning, and that's this. God sees. He sees us as equals. God sees us as equals. I don't care what color you are, what race, what, what tribe you've come from, what language you speak. He sees us as equals. He's trying to get Peter to understand that. He's trying to get the Jews to take this in and, and comprehend this truth. This is not just about foods being unclean. It's not just about people. We're all unclean without Jesus. We're all unclean. Peter's starting to get this. Oh, wait. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled every rule and regulation. It's fulfilled. But now we need to come under him and his sacrifice. Right? That's our hope. For salvation. He's teaching this and he says these words like he finally gets it. He says, truly, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now listen, this is not about some sort of works message. Don't get that confused. It's not about that. Peter's is incrementally understanding here this vision that it has to do with more than just what he saw initially. It has to do with not being racist. It has to do with seeing all people as people who need Jesus, that we're equal. 
regardless of our race, regardless of where we're from. He says, God loves all nations and all people. All nations and all people. I, I, love, um, I love Paul's encouragement to his church in Ephesus. Paul was a pastor of the church in Ephesus for several years, and he was discipling them in deep things, and yet they still struggled with racism. They still struggled with these differences. The look of our skin, their cultures are different. They're still struggling. And Paul speaks this word to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, speaking to the Gentiles here, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's me and you. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Has there been hostility? Yeah. Do we struggle with racism? Yes. Is it in me? Yes. Is it in you? Yes. It is a part of our fallen condition as human beings. It is sin. Make no mistake about what it is. It is sinfulness. It is sinfulness. It is in all of us, and we need Jesus to help us. What's beautiful about this text in Ephesians is that that's what he's done. Through the cross, we're not separated anymore. We can be one people. We can be one group in Christ. In a few, I don't know when we're going to get to it, but we're going to be preaching through the book of Acts, obviously. We're going to get to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, it tells us a little bit about the church at Antioch. And what's so interesting about the church at Antioch, in the first couple of verses, uh, Luke tells us who the leadership was in Antioch. Now, I've said this a long time, that, that the early church was a diverse church, right? And that today's church needs to be a diverse church. We need to have all colors and languages and different people, and I love what God is doing at South City Church, but it's not new. It started with the early church. And if you look in Acts 13, in the first couple of verses, you'll see the leadership. There's a couple of black men from Africa. There's an Asian. There's a couple of people from the Middle East. It is a diverse leadership of the church at Antioch. And listen, this is what's so beautiful. It's not about where they're from. It's not about their color. Because the Bible says that at Antioch is the place where they're known as Christians. Do you know why that's significant? Their identity stopped being in their culture. Their true identity stopped being in the color of their skin, and it started being in the cross of Christ. Don't know me as the white guy or the black guy over here or whatever the case may be. Know me, know us together as brothers, as someone who, who knows Jesus. We've been made one through his blood, and he has torn down the wall of hostility between us. This story is about racism. Here's the third point I want you to see this morning. Number one, God sends us. He invites us into the mission every single day. If we look for it, 
He wants to invite us into what he's doing. Number two, he sees us as equals. He loves us as equals. And number three, he saves us. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. I love that little, little parenthetical moment right there that Peter has in his message. It's like Peter, he, to me it's like the, the mountaintop of Peter understanding this whole unclean thing. And right in the middle of his message he goes, oh, Jesus is Lord of all. He gets it. He's Lord of all of us. That's why I've titled this message, Jesus is Lord of all. No matter who you are or where you're from, he's Lord of all. Listen, Cornelius was a good man. He did good things. But it wasn't enough. He needed Peter to come preach the gospel for him to believe and him to know Christ. So that's what Peter does. He opens his mouth. He preaches. And I love the fact that Peter sort of contextualizes his message. He starts off in the beginning. He says, Jesus came preaching peace. Now listen, do you think a Roman soldier understands terms like peace and war? For a soldier, peace means I get to be with my family and war means I have to go fight and kill. Do you think he understands terms like enemies and friends or hostility? He, he gets this. Peter's preaching to him about Jesus coming and all that he did. And from verse 36 to 43, Peter preaches one of the most kind of short and succinct messages we have in all the New Testament. It's beautiful of the gospel of Jesus. He mentions the fact that Jesus was baptized with John. He mentions Jesus healing and his power and, and serving those who needed it. He mentions Jesus' death and resurrection. He even mentions uh, after Jesus is resurrected his great commission. And Jesus saying to his disciples, go, go into all the world and preach. And so Peter's kind of going, so that's what I'm doing. I forgot for a moment. I wasn't paying attention. I was thinking about things that didn't matter as much. But yeah, now I, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. And this is what I'm speaking to you, the gospel of Jesus. He gives him the great commission. And then he tells him something also interesting. He says, Jesus wanted us to tell that he is the judge of the living and the dead. Now listen, Cornelius understands these kind of languages, <laughs> these kind of words. He understands this kind of communication. Somebody who judges. To be a judge means sometimes you decide whether someone lives or someone dies. Cornelius gets that kind of commentary, right? He hears what Peter is saying. John MacArthur says, Jesus Christ will be to every per person either a deliverer or a judge. He'll either be a deliverer or a judge. My hope is uh, today we choose his deliverance, not his judgment. He says that uh, the Messiah was prophesied. He kind of gives, uh, gives uh, textual proof, if you will. He's saying, Cornelius, this is not just some new thing. Like the prophets from thousands of years have prophesied to the truth of who Jesus is as Messiah, and he's come, right? And then we start getting to the, to the, the main point, right? This is like, this is the climax of his message. And Peter says in verse 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He no more longer gets that sentence out of his message that the Holy Spirit interrupts him. Peter's still going, and the Holy Spirit falls on these believers. Cornelius and his family, they were there to hear 
of the salvation of Jesus. Their hearts were ready for this moment. They needed to hear the gospel of Jesus to be saved. And immediately, as they trusted Jesus, when they heard the, literally the words to trust in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, everyone can know him. If we believe in Jesus, he'll forgive our sins. At that moment, they did that. And when they did it, the Holy Spirit fell on that whole group of people. Look at verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Do you think he's getting this equality message now? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Listen, the Jewish believers that were with Peter, these six guys, they're blown away, as, as well as Peter. Again, his mind is, has been spinning this whole time. But after he preaches the gospel, he's reminded of Pentecost that had happened about 10 years before this. The Holy Spirit is poured out just as it was at Pentecost, but these people aren't Jews. They're Gentiles. This is God's approval that he sees us as equals, that he loves us, and that anyone from any place can be saved and know Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it's saying. I think this is interesting. They start speaking in tongues, and of course, now again, we need to understand that these tongues is a known language. It's also a little something in here that says they were speaking in tongues and extolling God. One theologian I read this week said, how did they know they were extolling God if it was in a different language? And he said, this is what I think happened. He said, at Pentecost, the Jews began to speak other languages of other nations so that they could hear the word of God. At what they call this is the Gentile Pentecost, if you will. And they believed that these Gentiles maybe were speaking Hebrew. It's not a language they knew to speak. It was a miracle. But they were speaking in such a way that they were praising God, and these Jews understood them to be praising God. Amazing miracle. And of course, Peter says, why can't they be baptized? They, they, the Holy Spirit has fallen on them just as he has on us. Again, giving this, this additional sign of equality. One little point I want to make here before we close. We need to know this about baptism. You know, baptism is important. There's some faiths that say that it is necessary for salvation. You need to know that it is not. It's not what this story says. The story says that uh, they, they believed in Christ and that the Holy Spirit came on them, right? He filled them. That is salvation, apart from baptism. So, but do you remember the Great Commission? Jesus said, go into all the world. He said, make disciples, okay? So they've, they've trusted Jesus. Baptize them, and so now he's gonna baptize them as part of the Great Commission, as a secondary part, as an additional part of discipleship. It's not, baptism doesn't save us, but it is a part of our obedience in our discipleship of Jesus. And then a little bit, we're going to see that he's going to do the third part of discipleship. He stays for a few days. It says they ask him to stay. I think this is so interesting because Peter only has a couple of days. <laughs> he's only got a few days to disciple this group of people. Again, I'm convicted. How many, how many years have we been in Sunday school? How many years have we been in church and we say, well, I can't lead that group? You crazy? Cornelius had a few days. His family just had a few days. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you is this. Don't diminish what you have in your heart and your spirit about God. 
what you know about him and what you know to be true of him, God can use it to lead other people. Don't diminish it. He only had a few days with Cornelius, and Lord, the Lord uses it tremendously. He finishes this discipleship, this great commission strategy. He's, he's seen these disciples come to know Jesus. He's baptized them. And the third thing that he, he tells the disciples is what? Teach them to observe all the things that I've taught you. And so he stays these last days, and he tells them about Jesus. Listen, as I close this morning, three things I want you to take away from this. God is always working. He wants to use you. It's not the angel's job to preach the gospel. It's your job. It's my job, and we need to be about it. Where is he working? Where can we join him in it? He sends us. He sees us as equals. He loves us as equals. He wants us to be one in the cross. He wants us to be one people. That's what I love about this day, especially when I look at this, I just want to take a mental picture of this audience. You're beautiful. I mean, you look really good today. I love, I love the beautiful rainbow and color palette I see in this church. It's beautiful. God sees us as equals. Let's see more of it. It honors him. It glorifies him when we from different tribes and tongues and colors and races worship the one true God. And then lastly, this is the most important point of the day. Don't miss this, friends. God saves. God saves us. Listen, Cornelius understood the idea of wrath. He understood the idea of being an enemy of someone. And here's the reality. If you don't know Christ this morning, you're an enemy of God. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you stand under the wrath of God. But you don't have to. You can make the choice this morning. Look right here for a second. You can make the choice this morning to be delivered, not judged. Would you make that choice? Would you make that choice? It'll be the greatest decision you will ever make. Scripture told us in verse 43, everyone, everyone who believes in the Lord, have his sins forgiven, will be saved. Listen, it, it takes faith. Some of you are saying, how can I believe some old book and some old thing? I'm just going, listen, this book is true. <laughs> this book is real. It takes faith, though. Hebrews 11:6 says it's impossible to please God without faith. You have to have faith. You can't be saved without faith. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes right now? Just for a moment. I don't do this every Sunday. But this morning, as we, as we teach you this and we talk about this, it's so important for us just to take just a couple of seconds here and say, have you done that? Have you trusted Christ with your life? And not just your life, but your eternity. Have you trusted Christ? Do you know him? Don't be on the side of wrath and judgment. Be on the side of peace. Be on the side of deliverance. He loves you this morning. He loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. And you believing in him and trusting him in him can wipe away the sins of your life. If you're sitting here this morning, you would say to me, listen, Drew, 
I don't know if I've done that before. I might have been to church, but my life sure doesn't prove it. I don't know if I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't know that I would go to heaven. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, would you pray for me? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you in some way. Thank you. Anyone else? Just say, I just don't know. I'm not sure. My heart is pounding. I'm not positive. Would you would just pray for me because I don't know. Anyone else? Thank you. I'm going to wait just a second. Anybody else? People being honest this morning about where they stand with God. Cornelius was a good man. He did good things, but he didn't know Jesus. I'm not asking, do you do good things? Are you a good person? I'm saying, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Anybody else? Just a hand. Okay. Today, will you choose deliverance and peace? Even as I'm speaking, would you just begin to pray? If you raised your hand just now, begin to believe. Begin to push faith forward. Say, Lord, I do believe that you died for me, that you gave your only son for me, that he rose from the grave, that you have the power, all the power in heaven and on earth to forgive me of my sins. Would you forgive me? Would you change me? Would you save me? Help me to never be the same again. Some of you have friends and family. You know they would say, I'm a good person, but you know they don't know Christ. We just want to lift them up. We want to be like Cornelius. We want to round them up to places where they can hear the word of God and be confronted with the truth of who he really is. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for these friends. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of this message, God, of, of your word, that you send us, that you see us, and that you save us. God, how kind you are. Would you forgive us for being a racist, bigoted, separating people and see that you see us as equal, that you love us, you love all people, and you long for all people to come to know you, Lord. Whosoever, your word says in John 3:16, whoever would believe, doesn't have to perish, but can have eternal life in Christ. Lord, thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to do something a little step further. If you said this morning, I just don't know, would you pray for me? I'm going to ask you to come down in a minute. If you want to. I feel like we need to tell people. We need to just make a decision for God. I feel like we need to tell people. Maybe there's somebody, you have a small group already, you want to just go tell them, that's fine. But Brother Jerry's going to be down here. I'm going to be down here during this song. If God is moving in your heart in some way, maybe you're struggling with a racist uh, tendency in your heart, in your family, in your past. Maybe you just need to come and pour that out and say, Lord, forgive me. Maybe you're struggling with where he's sending you. He's working on both ends, not just your end. He's working on the other end, right? That's what he does. Whatever it is that God is working in you, whatever he's doing in you, let's pray. Let's seek him. And, and if nothing else, as we sing this song, would you pray about tonight? Pray that God would do amazing work tonight through worship, through our connection to the community, and even for me as I present the gospel in a short, little condensed way at the end of our concert tonight. So let's stand. Let's worship. If you need to come pray, we're here for you right now.